Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, trucks, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, Dennis Michelson, and Laurie Monroe from Racetalkradio.com. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, from the David Hobbs Honda Studios, it's Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. Hey, welcome to the Final Inspection Show. It should be a fun show today. Lots of stuff going on as we... Uh, Season starts to wear down to the nub here. Joining me in studio, of course, is Tony DeZeno from NBCSports.com. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. Jeff Rolowski, of course, behind the keyboard. Yeah, hello. And uh, Martinsville, the paperclip. The paperclip. You know, I don't know. I feel, I you know, I've I've I like the short tracks and that, but I've never been into a really big in the Martinsville. Just Richmond, yeah. The old North Wilkesboro, but Martinsville, even even when I was a kid, and it just, eh. I agree with you. They, you know, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of tracks where it makes such a difference on if you, you know, restart or start the race uh, on the inside or the outside row. I think that, uh, you know, when, when 10 to, you know, well, anywhere from six to 10 positions count on where you start, if you start on the outside, and you have problems getting down to that lower lane, you're going to just fall right back. It uh, It's tough. It's tough. In the world of uh, NASCAR where everything is so micromanaged, it'll be interesting to see, unless I missed it uh, this weekend, if they're going to do anything about the brake checking of the guys trying to count off. Let's see, my inside, outside, inside, as they count drivers leaving pit lane, and you get these you know wadded-up cars at the end of pit lane. I mean – talking about a, a a danger you know especially the that the, the the poor nascar official astronaut guy you know with the little sign there you know it, it's i i'm really surprised nascar hasn't addressed that it's risky but hopefully they're just you know they're backing off a little bit there's so many rules on every single thing we saw it in the race with truex last week you know that uh hopefully you know they're only going what 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour down pit road at Martinsville. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if if somebody gets brake checked, is it, you know, going to cause a lot of damage? No, but is it going to cause some? Sure. No, that's the one thing I don't mind about Martinsville is that your car can be torn to pieces Mm -hmm. and you can still be in contention for it. Guys can come, there's good, you expect at least 12 to 15 cautions, maybe more than that. And, you know, you can, you can recover from something like that. Unless you have an extra guy over the wall and then he, then you get parked. Yeah. Then you get parked. Yeah, well, that's that's a less than ideal situation. 
It's just, right. it's just not good uh, for I suppose Wisconsin, talk- Wisconsin people, man. You know, it's like well, the, pack, the Packers have that happen. The Wisconsin driver has that happen. So we're not in good the, the, There were two things that happened last week that bothered me. Of course, it was the, the Kenseth situation in which we'll, we might run some. Uh, I'll throw this up on Jeff, but I'm sure you pulled the audio on that. Uh, yeah, just say yes. Yeah, 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 of, oh, course. of course. Yes, yeah, sir. I was and we'll, we'll, we, we may run that towards the end of the second hour because I thought it was kind of interesting what he had to say, uh, Matt Kenseth, you know, unfiltered. But the other thing that bothered me was what was the first Truex penalty, where you couldn't go below the start-finish line before the start-finish line, but only on starts. You couldn't go below the white line. Or the white line, I mean, yeah. before the start-finish line on the start. What the, the front row couldn't, but the other guys behind you could it, it, it was like i never heard of this rule before and i understand okay they talked about in the drivers meeting and everybody supposedly remembered it now but this go, goes again once again what i've been harping on and and, and dennis and, and other people have been harping on for the last six months all these rules that they're piling on mm-hmm. you know it's it's akin uh it, it, it you know, it's like the guy that's like wiping out a, a, a big touchdown play in football because the guard wasn't covered by the wide receiver. You know, it, it just it just seems silly. Let these guys race. Yeah, I agree. It it seems like a silly rule. Their defense is that they covered it in the in the driver's meeting before the race. What was strange is that Truex goes underneath the white line. Harvick from row two mm-hmm. follows him. Martin gets the penalty. Kevin gets the, well, he just followed you, yeah. so you're fine. You know, my question would be, and, you know, in in their explanation, they said that the front row sets the lines. They didn't want uh, the lines to change before they hit the start-finish line, which is why they didn't want the front row going underneath the white line. So, but my question would have been, say if Truex stayed above the white line and Harvick went down below the white line before the the start finish line would that have been a penalty but okay and tony and i come from a world where blocking is not racing but in nascar they've embraced it okay fine so i've seen guys take pretty much guys going down let's say the back stretch at charlotte almost to the dust into the inside wall trying to block the guy so why is it why is it a concern now I mean, I, we've seen so many blockings. We we saw Carl Edwards almost, you know, try and kill Brad Kosalski or vice versa at Talladega a few years blocking. We've seen so many cars get torn up because of blocking. Now at Kansas where it's, okay, I, I don't recall a real issue with it. Why are they coming up with this stuff? It, it boggles my mind. I, I, I'm from a different school. I love the blocking. I love the rubbing is racing you know the more they crash in and can still race i love it but uh but yeah i don't know where it came from it just seems like another time where nascar just can't get out of their own way because kansas for me i really enjoyed that race and i i thought it was entertaining and but the first thing that everybody's talking about is the true x rule for going on well, it's the entertaining line. because nascar keeps on penalizing true x throwing them to the back and then we have the war then he has to work all his way back up. And he wins. He wins, and he anyway. wins anyway. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, but yeah, you know, it was an entertaining race, but then the, the top stories aren't true X winning. It's true X penalty and the Kenseth penalty. 
So they they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. It's it's unreal. It's just frustrating, and I know I sound, it sounds like a broken record. We come in here every week, and we're you know bitching and moaning about you know rules this, rules that, and why why, why these, these guys really hate NASCAR? No, we don't. It's but I, I know we can't turn back the clocks to 1988, but you know I don't remember you know Bob Jenkins and Benny Parsons going. Well, let's see, let's see who the rules say. You know I. It, it was never really brought up. That's not supposed to be your second screen experience exactly. is having the rule book alongside your, your right. broadcast, right? I mean, you shouldn't need to be reverting back. And this is, a, this is, I think, a bigger problem emblematic of most series where the way that tracks have evolved, the fact that guys are going below the white line now, that's forced guys, to, the officials to have to police it a bit more, but then there's discrepancy or inconsistency about whether that actually gets policed or not. So and we'll be talking about that point. in a second hour because right. F1's not going to get yeah. off the hook either because <laughs> exactly. right? there's a big contract controversy there but and there's a good point that yeah, was brought up this weekend also regarding exactly what the tracks and that so i mean i can see okay talladega and daytona where okay you got the white line rule it's a simple rule mm-hmm. you know and i i still say um who is that the original furniture role guy kurt bush no 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 before kurt bush the guy who didn't have hair then had hair. Uh, he's in Nationwide. Anyways, he got screwed at Talladega when he made Regan, a move. Regan Smith? Reg, Regan Smith Yeah, totally got screwed on that mm-hmm. uh, because he got pushed down there. And I still, But that's uh, that's the one area where they can kind of screw that up because I feel if you get pushed down there and you got to avoid a guy, then, but you're not supposed to improve your position, yada, yada, yada. Anyways. But anyways, that I can see. You know, the white line, Talladega, Daytona, fine. But this other stuff, these just layers and layers. And the pit stops are getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. It's not it, – it's more important now. I, I mean, what? don't even time the stops. It doesn't matter. It's more important if you get a penalty or not. It's like, okay, is it lug nuts this week? You know, mm-hmm. we, we haven't even – we've had 10 minutes of penalty talk and we haven't talked about post or pre-qualifying inspection and guys not getting through that. I mean, we talk about this show being called the final inspection, but literally half the qualifying session is, is the guy going to get through tech in time or not? So mm-hmm. that's been well, yeah, such it, an annoying storyline this year. Pit stops now are like kickoffs in the NFL. Every single time you expect a flag, mm-hmm. you know somebody yeah, – you point. know there's a penalty somewhere on the field – and that's some of the most exciting parts of the race is watching these guys try to hammer out an 11 second pit stop, you know, with 20 laps to go. And you're sitting there for the next eight laps, like, well, uh, who's going to get nailed here and take, you know, lose their chance to win the race. And of course we're at Martinsville and, uh, it used to be the Jeff Gordon track. And then this kid named Jimmy Johnson came through and, uh, Jimmy Johnson one, it's 14 short track wins nine at Martinsville. Uh, could we see, <laughs> could we see the rising of Jimmy Johnson again? Golden horseshoe, my friend. Yeah. Golden I, mean, horseshoe. It's just... I mean, how, how is it, how are we in a situation where Jimmy Johnson has flown under the radar again? He's in the round of eight. Kyle Larson doesn't advance one of the projected three out of four. We right. pretty much thought we'd have three of the four set and there'd be one yep. spot outside the 78, the 42 and the, the 18. Now one of those is out. So, you know, putting aside the 78 car. There's now three spots open instead of one, and 48 is suddenly in that position where they've got tracks to thrive. And they're, very well. they're in Texas. And the 42 is one of those cars that definitely could still win this you know, this year. Oh, yeah. I throw yeah. the wrench into things. 
He could definitely pick up a win. You know, I do think uh, just history tells you that Jimmy Johnson is going to make another charge for the championship. I think it starts tomorrow. You know, he's got he's got so many grandfather clocks from Martinsville. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another one, and this might be his best chance to advance to Homestead because overall the Lowe's team is struggling bad. Mm-hmm. You know, they were lucky to get past well, and make overall. it into the round yeah. of eight. Yeah. You know, and I it's funny, I, I thought about it, and it's weird that no one's talking any kind of conspiracy considering Larson gets his engines from Hendrick and Larson had his engine fail, which allowed Jimmy to move on. But that maybe that's just a little X Files that I'm thinking there. <laughs> Hamlin's the other guy that's always runs very strong. Uh, the question, mm-hmm. though, I, somebody has to ask Johnson, what's he doing with all these clocks? You start giving them away. Do you give them? A, yeah, I, let's see. You give he's, one. He's got a house in what Colorado, I think. And yeah, he's out there too. So you know, have the the mountain the mountain clock set, the North Carolina clock set, the Hendrick. He's clock got a, set, one so. in California, probably for his parents and that, or family out there. And then you got. Does Mr. he have to he pay to, to get Hendrick? a ship to to one of his houses? You know, because if you got to pay, then you might as well just sit there and leave it at the driveway of Martin. Generally, <laughs> the track usually. <laughs> Because we at the mile, we would ship the trophies back if they wanted to. Okay. If they if if logistics and that, if the truck was leaving or that, or they missed the truck and the guy missed getting the trophy on the truck or something, we'd mail them back. So, right. but that's not. I mean, that's that's a forty dollars shipping as opposed to geez, that that, that grandfather clock <laughs> you're looking at. I at mean, least a grand. I well, would I suppose that's one of those where you actually have to uh, do the box and you got to build a box around it and. Yeah, customizing everything. So I'm thinking at least a grand. Well, Jimmy, if you're listening, I can use a grandfather clock. I don't have one in my house. Steve, you have one? I do not have one. Tony, I th- I, do you I, have one in the palatial uh, Dezino Estates? I, I, I don't, but I'll tell you that having Denny Hamlin be good at Martinsville too, have FedEx on board, I mean, that's a double It's a double win from a shipping standpoint. Well, there you go. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah, they could shoot a commercial sitting outside his house waiting for the FedEx truck to bring the clock. I think we just came up with an idea. I think so. That's patented, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) All right, well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk more uh, NASCAR. It should be a fun show today. We've got Dave Coleman from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel coming up at the bottom of the hour. He's pinch hitting for Dennis Michelson and Laurie Monroe this week. And then uh, top of the hour, uh, Tony and I will go nuts talking about uh, open wheel, sports cars, you name it, the potpourri of everything and whatnot, and we'll get our picks too in the next hour. So you're listening to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway from the David Hobbs Studios in Hales Corners. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Yes, they are still racing. Make sure you check them out this weekend. Uh, snow hasn't flown yet, so there is still action on the track. And then also uh, uh, make sure to uh, – actually, I checked that. Just got an update. 
They are closed for today. There you go, building up, building up a buttercup but, and uh, letting them down. Make sure you check their Facebook page to see if they're open tomorrow because they were planning on being open tomorrow. So as of late last night, they were planning on to be open to, today. So we will see. But uh, uh, just make sure you check uh, the Facebook site, greatlakesdragway.com, uh, or, the, or the website or the Facebook site for the latest updates from the drag strip. I'd also like to thank our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Make sure you check out their website for the latest in new and used Hondas. A uh, great variety of stuff on sale there. Tony, how's your Honda coming? Yeah, good. Um, it's funny. I was actually just in for an oil change a couple weeks ago, and they said, yeah, you don't even need one yet because you're still at 40%, 50%. And so Excellent. That, that's how well it's running. I mean, it's if, if it's that good that you're going up there and they tell you it's running so well you don't even need to change yet, that's the kind of service it can provide. The I'm a, I'm a gadget freak, and all the all the cars have lots of new gadgets. What's, what's the favorite gadget you have in your Honda? I'm a sucker for the Apple CarPlay. I, I hate to admit it, but it's like, you know, having just that ease of access kind of in the So how does thing. that work? So basically you plug your phone in and what it's both for Apple and Android devices. So okay. you can, there's like a separate one if you, if you don't have Apple devices and it has basically your phone integration screen on the, on the center, center console area. So you can just toggle between maps, music, phone calls. So if you free. got like say a thousand so- songs on your, on your phone, you can just Load Fast up, forward and then straight straight up. Uh, right I heard this too many times. Enough, yeah, if you're enough of the Errol Smith, if something else. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> need some dinner with racers podcast. You can t- there you cue go. those up too. So good Excellent. stuff. Yeah, I love it. Uh, lots of lots of new fun gadgets on on the cars today, and especially on the Hondas. Uh, uh, yeah, it makes it, it. You know, you don't. It, it's weird because I come home, I park in up after work, and. I'll be listening to something on on uh, on my podcast or something. I want to, you know, hearing something. It's like I'm sitting in the driveway for an extra three four minutes to make sure I hear something right or following up on something. So it's like having a little office. You just don't want to stop the feeling when it's uh when it's going right. I mean, if you have a fifteen <laughs> twenty minute drive and you know you need an extra five to finish off whatever whatever you're rocking out to, or you know, just roll with it. So yeah, I think no, no pun intended. Uh, Matt Kent's at the course, uh, Cambridge's own. And, uh, as of right now, you know, no, no plans for the 28th season. And I, one thing I've always liked about Matt, uh, uh, is, uh, you know, the, he wasn't a filtered guy. He wasn't like one of these, uh, I won't name them, <clears throat> Jeff Gordon or Jim Johnson, where they, they kind of spoke, you know, they speak their mind. Let's take and a great example is last week here, uh, after the, the just, so frustrating uh situation with the with the pits uh pit stop uh post race accident that's uh why don't you run that jeff Here, Matt, describe what you believe the rule to be now that's been talked to for you in a situation with you and the 20 being parked now i don't know what any of the rules are it seems like we got a lot of stuff that kind of gets uh you know changed so often i honestly can't keep up with it my head kind of spins from you know, put lug nuts on out of pit boxes to one too many guys with a wall. You're not allowed to race anymore. I mean, I just don't get it, to be honest with you. But um, I really don't have a lot good to say right now. Uh, I'm more than disappointed, but I'm just going to um, say thanks to DeWalt. They've been a sponsor of mine off and on for 20 years. Um, awesome guys there. They deserve better than this. Uh, we showed some flashes of brilliance this season, been off and on, been fast at times, had great pit stops at times. Just um, just haven't been able to put it all together like a championship team needs to. And um, unfortunately, this is, this is an example of that. You know, So I'm hoping I can do a better job here in the next four weeks and uh, hopefully go get a win. There's a conspiracy out there. Uh-oh. The conspiracy is 
that the guy didn't go across right away, but he was sent across to on purpose so they would get uh, disqualified or, or penalized so he wouldn't win the championship, and then Joe Gibbs wouldn't have to carry him on or somebody would have to carry him because they, they then want the, the, the champion, the this year's champion, to be without a ride next year. So within 25 minutes of the show, we've had two conspiracy theory ideas come up between the 20 and the 42 and why they both got knocked out <laughs> at Kansas. Yeah, one from me and one from Steve, yet you're the only one wearing the tinfoil hat, so I don't get it. <laughs> I balance out. I, I call the I call the X-Files conspiracy shots. When no, I, I you know, when you see the video, you see the kid, he, he's like, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, you know, and, and, you know, it, it's a pit pits get crazy. You, you don't want to get yelled at. You don't want the crew chiefs to say, get out out there. What are you doing? And we got work to do. So, I mean, it, it it's frustrating. I, I just, I don't know. It, it seems like a very, very severe penalty though. It is, but you know, it, it is black and white too. So, you know, the thing that, that bothers me. It's a Michael me. Jackson song? <laughs> the thing, I don't know who that is. The thing that bothers me about it is that he wasn't out there to work on the car. He was out there to help out Kenseth. You know, like give him water or something like well, that. Well, supposedly you can, the extra guy can go out there if he's only doing the windshield and, and that. If you ask but permission. But he pulled, but he, and then uh, he put, you see him though, he pulled on the fender. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it, it it sucks. It sucks for Matt, and you know it's a it's an awful way for him to end a season, possibly a career in NASCAR, and uh, you know you feel bad for him. Is he is he being too prideful by not moving from his price tag? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think I think in one of the things we don't really appreciate about Matt Kenseth is that he's not a showman. And I mm-hmm. think that kind of blue collar mentality, I'm going to work hard and I'm not going to demand the respect or demand the, you know, over the top praise as we've got in three years, we've had Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt Jr. all have these awesome retirement tours that, you know, they probably might admit they're sick of. Here's Kansas just, you know, doing his typical yeoman, like, you know, seventh, eighth type of finishes, staying in contention. And why why should you want to be less than what you deserve? I mean, why should you do that just to keep it going? You're not going to get a better ride than what you've got. So why why lower yourself to that? I mean, I look at that versus Casey Kane going to the 95 car, and I'm thinking to myself, you really? It's it's you know guys at the end of their careers going to to downcast operations. I don't think is a great storyline other than the 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 you know part, perhaps misguided optimism that they can bring a team forward. Mm. And then there's the front row motorsports situation with them getting rid of both of their guys and they're moving in a different direction. And then somebody already said, "Oh, Danica, maybe Danica's going there." <laughs> So who knows what's going to go on with that team, I, you know? And then you got the Kurt Busch situation, very polarizing guy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you either hate him or, or like him. Ken Seth is is like like Tony says, he's a blue collar guy, what Midwest guy, and you know, it, it's um. NASCAR has a bit of an image problem, you know, but is it going to kill them? I mean, is it the bottom line? You know, people always go, wow, you can't have a situation where, you know, Ken Seth is without a ride, this and that. But we've seen it in other sports where sometimes 
with with the way the um the contracts are set up like in the NFL and that where you know if you have a choice between a 14 year offensive lineman and a 6 year there's a big jump there and the younger you're going to keep the younger guy of course you know so i mean it, it, i can see both sides of it but I'll, I'll this say it. shouldn't be it this shouldn't be happening though but it is a nine and it's finally hit nascar with with the sponsorships Everything is just geared around sponsorships. I mean, in the past, I remember, you know, all the NASCAR guys who would rip on IndyCar races and say, well, pff, our guys don't pay for their rides. They earn them. Not that way <laughs> Not anymore. <now. laughs> Not, Not anymore. Way. Not anymore, no. I'll, I'll say this, and I, I think there's something to be said for going out when people still know that you have more to give rather than hanging on too long and it being a case of, oh, why didn't they hang it up a year or two mm-hmm. ago? So I think there's I think there's better better case for that you know when when you look back at the end of something you know Kenseth and Elio Castroneves could not be more polar opposite in personalities because mm-hmm. Elio is ebullient he's you know comedian court gesture but that's him but he got forced out through a ride of his without his own doing he didn't do anything to lose that ride on his own but he didn't get retained on it Kenseth but he's still going into a different he's got a ride I not, mean, not it, the it, same quality he doesn't not, he do, he doesn't want that ride. Yeah. He won't admit it, but he right. does not want that right, and he just is such a good soldier for for RP that he's not gonna he's not gonna throw him under the bus. But he's still again. I mean, yeah, I understand what you're saying there, but it, it's you could be in far worse. I mean, I think I'd rather. Well, I, I, t- I take I take Kenseth's paychecks over Elio's paychecks. I oh think yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> significant but I'm just saying, He doesn't. Need, he didn't need to go anywhere else at this. Point. I mean, I, I think I'd rather win. Would you rather win in sports car racing? Driving for the captain than running for a lesser team in IndyCar. Depends on how many zeros. Depends. I mean, it, it's still that's a different. And plus, top. plus you're still in that. You're still in that. You're still in Rogers' world. You're still. I mean, it, I feel, it's I feel a like good place I feel like Rogers' be. world is like bigger than either series, mm-hmm. IndyCar or sports car. So, but I'm point. The point I was trying to make is that if you're forced out through no fault of your own. You shouldn't feel like you have to yeah. reprove yourself somewhere else. Well, yeah. I, I think you brought up a good point yeah, about Kenseth. Now, say this is the end of Matt Kenseth's career, and obviously I'm pretty sure all three of us hope it's not. But if it is, I would rather some a driver go out the way that Matt is going to go out than the year-long retirement parties that Tony Stewart and Dale had. Because now with the focus and the entire championship based on Miami and Homestead, and that is it. So now you've got to balance, oh, you've got the 800-time most popular driver, Dale Jr., who's going to finish 32nd and retire and is going to get three-quarters of the press. He's going to get more attention than your champion, and there's a problem with that. Mm -hmm. That's why I never liked that whole you know retirement tour and all that. Just go out. You know, just say – you know, sorry guys, I'm done. You know, and and fade off into the sunset. Well, it depends on the driver's ego too. I mean, and some and some of it's marketing and whatnot. And there's, and unfortunately, because of circumstances, I mean, you have the Mark Martin situation, Felipe Massa situation, mm-hmm. where oh, I retired. Oh wait, no, he's in the next race the following year. <laughs> I didn't retire, so you know. I mean, eh, so what? What are you gonna do? But yeah, I, it, it's frustrating. I, I tell you what, let's get uh, 
Dave Coleman's taking some of this when we come back after the bottom of the hour sports flash. We'll talk more on uh, NASCAR. Went want to talk about Bubba Wallace, mm. uh, that situation, uh, of course, Matt, and we'll get uh, Dave Coleman's uh, taking these things from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel when we return on the final inspection show on the fan. to the final inspection show brought to you by legendary great lakes dragway closed today because of weather make sure you check out their facebook page to see if they will be open tomorrow weather permitting of course and also like to thank our friends at david hobbs honda and glendale 6100 north green bay road make sure you check out the latest in sales specials with them joining us on the great midwest bank hotline from the milwaukee journal sentinel of course dave Coleman. welcome to the show dave good to have you on again oh thank you very much my pleasure Lots of stuff happening, of course, as the season wears down. And uh, I guess the good news, instead of talking about people losing rides and whatnot, uh, was the announcement of uh, Bubba Wallace and Richard Petty Motorsports getting together. But the details, not not too many details at this point. It's a work in progress, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure sounds like it. I mean, that's I don't think anyone any real surprise to anyone that it did happen. But you're right. I mean, now we know that it's really going to, and yeah, uh, somebody must want it to happen. So there presumably is some money behind it somehow, somewhere. Uh, you know how those things go, mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, until everything is signed and uh, there's there's always a chance things can blow up. But you don't announce a deal like that if, you, if you're not... Uh, Certainly, it's going to happen one way or another. But on that front, Dave, you know, you look at a guy, Bubba Wallace, has uh, has had kind of an off year where he hasn't had a full time ride. It's been kind of partial, you know, some cup races, some truck races. I think maybe one or two, you know, the Xfinity races before that fell through. How does a guy like that stay in the game when he's not in a full time seat? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> the uh, there's a lot of guys who would like to know the right answer to that, right? Um, but I, being around, I think, is is important. Just being seen by as many people as possible, being making sure you're available when Richard Petty needs you or when there's an opening in the truck. I'd be curious to know what the full details of of the Roush exit. Uh, it, certainly, it seems like money was was the root of that. If they can't sell him and he can't sell himself, who knows? if there's something else there, but the fact of the matter is whatever happened, he did stay around. He did do whatever he needed and whatever he could. Uh, I think he ran a, ran that big late model race at Bristol, I believe. So just being out there, being seen, being remembered, not managing, finding ways to not get forgotten and overlooked. Uh, that's, that seems to be the best a person can do. Well, Dave, now that uh, Bubba steps in, to the car there for uh, Eric Amarola. We, when Amarola, you know, when it was announced that, that uh, he was leaving, Smithfield was leaving, uh, you know, said some stuff. Or well, Smithfield said that, uh, you know, they weren't uh, they weren't sure that Richard Petty uh, Motorsports could be competitive. They haven't been competitive. Say Bubba Wallace gets the same kind of sponsorship deal that Smithfield had, which is was a very nice deal. Do you have any faith that in the near future 
that they're going to turn it around and actually compete? <laughs> uh, not a ton. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess I see uh, Wallace and Almirola as pretty similar guys in in what they accomplished, uh, sort of on their way up. Almirola was fortunate to to win. Uh, win a cup race and win a, uh, legitimately win a uh, an Xfinity race. Uh, you know, but he's he's looked good at times. He's been you know, a whole lot of nothing other times. The same for Bubba. He's he's looked good. He's won what in the Truck Series. Uh, so you know that's great. But it's it's been nothing. Neither of them has been anything spectacular. And the team we know has not been spectacular in. 40 years. I mean, in quite some time. <laughs> the, we, we lost a member of the Wisconsin family here, of course, with Jimmy Wildman Watson. And, you know, very popular driver. He drove at Hales Corners, did a lot of local driving, and then went to work for down in NASCAR. Um, and then eventually went over to Furniture Row Racing. Unfortunately, passed away last week. When somebody like that passes away, and, I mean, for you – working at the paper and at do, do you get a lot of emails from people wondering what's going on or how, how does that work from, from Dave Coleman's uh, point of view? Yeah, I really didn't hear from a lot of people that way professionally, certainly uh, Facebook and, and whatnot. We're, we're hopping in, in, you know, the circles that I hang. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a big loss. Somebody who, and it's interesting to me, <laughs> I hate to look at this, sort of look at this way because these were both very sad guys going before their time. But uh, Jimmy Watson and, and Russ Scheffler within, mm-hmm. what, six six weeks of each other, uh, Russ Scheffler was certainly beloved in his circle and in the Milwaukee area racing community and, and, and beyond. Uh, but Jimmy Watson has way more sort of remembrance uh, by everyone, locally, mm-hmm. nationally, because of his participation participation in NASCAR. Both great guys, both great racers at the local level. Um, both deserve a lot of recognition, and it's they're you know, both guys, like I said, who who are uh, who are gone much too soon. If Matt Kenseth is not running a full-time or running any anything next year in a race car what, what what's his what what's next for him uh i you know he's joked about all kinds of things like driving a school bus uh and i really think that's not far off <laughs> i not a real school bus his family school bus mm-hmm. you know he loves his kids he loves his family he's he's got other it's much like when carl edwards stepped away Everybody went, ah. but on the other hand, Carl had uh, has other interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, maybe, maybe Matt's now is particularly family. At least that's what it it appears from the outside. Uh, but I think he's okay with that. I mean, I've seen him around his kids, and it's just it's fabulous. It's one of those as a father, you, you'd like to emulate, you know, and you'd like your kid, you'd like your kids to love you that much too. Um, no, I, it's. I think he'll be all right if he doesn't do it. Hey, he's got a, he's had a tremendous career. If if uh, whatever it is, four weeks from 
three weeks from tomorrow is the end, four weeks from tomorrow is the end, then it is. Uh, what else is there to accomplish? Another championship would be great. Got one. Another Daytona 500 would be great. Got two. Brickyard would have been nice. But, hey, he was there, competed, um, just didn't happen, you know. So I, I don't know that there's a ton of a reason, of reason for him to um, – worry too much about it he's he's got other interests he's certainly set for life uh family will be a big part of it and i uh, you know when i talked to him at chicagoland the idea of being around the racetrack in some other capacity just didn't seem real interesting to him so if it's the end then he's probably you're not going to see a whole lot of them dave do you think that his kind of lack of social media presence kind of hurts in a sense because the, the way I look at Matt, I think he's one of the best followers on Twitter because he doesn't tweet often, but when he does, it's gold almost every time. Like, you know, <laughs> earlier this year, I remember he said, you know, at least that 78 won again, you know, just something like that. And then the, the Richmond ambulance fiasco, he just, you know, did a, you know, cameo. was like, oh, backed up again. Like he, he nails the timing of stuff. He's not one of these millennials, you know, myself included, that has a problem <laughs> tweeting way too much stuff all the time. But when you look at a guy like Bubba Wallace, who's got a seat despite a lack of real results, you know, in the, in the latter series and, you know, but, uh, Bubba, Ryan Blaney, what have you. Do you, do you think that kind of hurts a guy like Matt who's never been that candid in a, in a social setting? I don't know that that is how much of a – how important that is. It was nice. It certainly uh, – when when Matt first got involved in Twitter, he, he was very resistant, and then he was pretty active. And I know I ticked him off once, and he said, you know, this is exactly why I don't want to do this. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but then and he's really slowed down to a crawl. But there's something to be said, too, for picking your spot. Mm-hmm. If uh, you just open the floodgates, it, 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 some, of that, some of it's lost, some of the, um, well, all of the subtlety, certainly. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, the Blaney. Uh, uh, he's great. He's got, he shows a ton of personality and, and that humor that uh, – that probably that not everybody gets, just like sometimes Matt will slide stuff out there that will go over a lot of people's heads. It's a it's an interesting uh, insight in people's personalities, but I hope it doesn't. I, I don't think it has a ton to to do with ultimately where anybody ends up or how um, you know Bubba's going to end up in a fairly low paying deal with a impact team. Matt doesn't need to do that, so. Uh, I don't think there's a ton of connection, but it is interesting. It's a, it's a interesting sociology, I would say. Okay, we got Kenseth, Danica, Kurt Busch, and is there one more? Would have been Kane, but he's Kane's uh, in, yeah. So McDowell. Well, McDowell, but Landon uh, Castle. Well, let's yeah. go with. I guess you can go into big three: Kenseth, Danica, and Kurt Busch. Are they are they running full time next year? Uh, one of them probably. One of them, okay. I would say Kurt Bush. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it just it's musical chairs, and there aren't enough chairs, and there aren't, there aren't enough chairs that pay well. Uh, so, uh, Dan, well, similar with Danica, I mean, does she have more to accomplish that she'd like to accomplish in NASCAR? Oh, yeah, way more. Mm-hmm. She, um, she certainly is seen as, you know, uh, style over substance at this point. Would, would she like to have 
uh, some recognition for more substance. Absolutely. But by the same token, she's sad. She, you know, if, oh, yeah. if this is all there is, well, she'll probably scrape by the rest of her life. And she also has other interests. Uh, <laughs> Kurt, I'm not so much so sure about the other interests. Um, you know, I think he'll, it sounds like he's ready to take a pay cut to, to be there if that's the way it's going to be. And so he'll, he'll, and he's similarly, just, just like Matt, very competitive. So uh, it just seems to me that that's the logical person to stick around. We're talking to uh, Dave Coleman of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Final question. Uh, who's your pick for Martinsville tomorrow? Oh, my goodness. I should was I really not prepared for that? What the heck is wrong with me? I guess it has been too long since I've been on. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I uh, this isn't exactly going out on a limb historically, but it is based maybe on this season. I'm gonna take Jimmy Johnson. All right, Jimmy 48. Johnson. Yeah, that's a good pick. He's got the most wins, and uh, you know he does need another uh, grandfather clock. So. <laughs> I can't imagine the noise in his house uh, from about five minutes before the top of the hour till five after, because yeah, I'm sure they don't all run exactly on time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think uh, here's the other reason. You, you guys know me. I The only thing I root for is an interesting story. Uh, seven time going into the final race with a chance, chance to make it eight is an interesting story. It is. So let's, let's get it taken care of right now. Now, if that happens, is it what happens to all the, uh, you know, the old Dale, Dale guys? You know, the South will rise again, people down there. Are they going to start burning 48 flags, or what, what happens? Do they embrace it? Do they, he's not legit, or? It'll, it'll be sad if people don't embrace it. You don't have to like it, but you ought to appreciate it. You ought to, uh, be impressed by it. I know, I know. These he's won chase championships, not legitimate full season. Blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. You know what? Everybody else played under the same rules too. Right. So, yeah, you don't have to like it, but geez, I hope, I hope, I hope that people look at it and go, "That's a really amazing accomplishment." He's a talented kid. <laughs> kid. Yeah, you know what? He's forty-two years old. Um, so, and soon to be the the most tenured and oldest driver in the series, right? So. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? Uh, also, <laughs> also his age uh, is the same as his three teammates next year combined. So, oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. wow! I think Tony. I'm, I'm, <laughs> the the young guy's killing us today. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go. Go uh, fluff the uh, the lining for my coffin. <laughs> uh, that means I got a, a fifth grader to spare on Johnson's teammates. Hey, as, long, as long as Russ Lake is around, we're we're okay. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, he'll probably last us all. Dave, yep. Dave, you know as well as I do. I kid because I love and respect you. Respect the hell out of you guys. So. Uh, that's, we, we would we would be sadly disappointed, um, and we'd worry about you. If you didn't. Okay. So. When's your next chat? Are you having any more chats uh, for before the end of the season? We're, uh, we're trying to figure out exactly what we're doing with that. Okay. Uh, as you guys know, this, uh, particularly the kid knows, the, uh, the, the media landscape changes so quickly. You're mm-hmm. trying to get ahead of what people might want. Not, you, you almost can't worry about what they do want. You worry about what they might want. Are we going to end up doing you know Facebook Live instead of – chatting are we going to do i don't know 
Um, we need to do something. We just haven't figured out exactly what it is, when it's going to be, or how we're going to do it. Let us so know, and we'll we'll plug we'll plug it on the final inspection Facebook page for you. So. Well, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate that, and and absolutely, maybe this is the prod I needed to remind somebody <laughs> that we, we this would be a good time. So, Excellent, Dave Coleman. Thank you from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Dave, of course, courtesy uh, or listening, uh, calling in, I should say, on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Great Midwest Bank has been committed to personalized common sense lending since 1935. That's older than you, Steve. When you're in the market to buy, build, renovate, or refinance, visit greatmidwestbank.com to discover the benefits of simply local banking. When we come back, we'll have more NASCAR before the end of the hour here on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Just wanted to uh, just go through some news and notes here real quick. Uh, as we talked about before, Front Row Motorsports uh, getting rid of or not re-signing Landon Castle. Uh, well, this this surprised me. 253 starts. Yeah, he's got a bunch, and he's still super young. He's still like 27 or 28, I think, too. We did, uh, I want to say about 2007, we did a press conference at Milwaukee NASCAR weekend, and we had um, Landon Castle, I think we had McDowell, maybe uh, one of the, uh, uh, Dylan, might have been Austin Dylan. And a couple other kids that were kind of coming up. Uh, oh, uh, the wrestler from up north, um, uh, who actually won a race, late model race in Milwaukee, who escapes me, who still runs late models and whatnot. But anyways, I was was really impressed with Landon Castle. But he's just one of these guys. You know, he 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 was doing a ride, you know, parking, uh, starting, starting park, park. And, and whatnot. And he's been he's been around. I mean. Uh, Put it bluntly, he's doing okay. He's he's living pretty comfortably. Yeah, I mean, yep. he's 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 got some coin in the in the bank from even just doing what he's doing. But yeah, it's kind of frustrating. But I mean, when you look at who else is without a ride, you know, uh, they, they said uh, Front Row uh, Motorsports. He said first, several decisions to change the overall dynamic of the mid tier program. As it concerns Landon, we're just trying to improve our program. Thought we had some opportunities that would put us in a better place. So I don't know if they're bringing in people with with money, uh, a driver with 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 a sponsor or whatnot. But who knows? It'll be inter- interesting to see there. And then, of course, the other one that really surprised not, not surprised. It would surprise me a couple of years ago if you heard this, and that was Aspen uh, Dental not returning to Danica. And uh, the CEO says, uh, uh, the longtime CEO, uh, Mark Sensprano, left the company in January, was replaced by William Setleff, a veteran marketeer who said to be reevaluating Aspen Dental's marketing strategy. The worst thing that can ever happen if you have a racing sponsor, Jeff Orlowski Racing is backed by Tony DeZino's widgets, and and the worst thing you can hear is uh, Tony DeZino's widgets has a new CEO after you just signed your three year contract. 
because what they do is they go through it. Why are we sponsoring this Jeff Orlowski guy? We're spending so much, and what are we getting out of it? Because there's going to be some people, let's, let's, let's be honest, they like the schmooze. Oh, sure. And it's, it's a way for them, and, you, you know, however you cut it, how much they get out of it is, is, is you know, it depends on the, on the company and whatnot. And I, I, I said what, what really hurts in 2008 when when with with the the uh, with, when the economy went into a downturn, everybody kind of tightened their purse purse uh, strings, and, and I think a lot of companies thought when they stopped sponsoring their these race teams or maybe stopped doing some of their TV stuff, they didn't notice that much of a drop in their product line. I think you know, and I think wait, well, wait, why are we spending all this? And Tony, you 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 you, could, you might remember this. Unfortunately, it was kind of wearing down. I, I you'd go to a race fifteen years ago, and you'd go to where you're where you're uh, where you're set up in the, in the press room. There'd be a wad of swag. There would be hoodies. There'd be caps. There'd be all sorts of stuff just sitting there waiting for you. Well, half the reason you got in the racing media business is for the <laughs> for the swag and backpacks and what have you. So, I mean, I give credit to you know companies that still activate, and I think that's that's kind of been a dying breed the last few years. And you know, Steve Shunk, a good friend of both of ours, mm-hmm. PR guy down in Indy, you can usually hear him because of how loud yeah. he is. Um, but he does a good job with Borg Warner getting their name out, and it's not really a consumer product; it's a turbocharger company. Right. But it's something that where you know when there's stuff that comes out and you promote it. You, you've, there's activation to it. I think the biggest change in racing sponsorship has been this direct to consumers, where it was something like a Target or a, or you know just something where consumers can go into. And now it's B two B type stuff that mm-hmm. you can't really activate as much. Yeah, it certainly is. So be interesting to see. It just it just fascinating. I hear you got Danica, and this was a sponsor. Aspen kind of stepped up after this debacle with Nature's Bakery, which you know two years ago when we thought okay. She, they're uh, what's their their company she's aligned with out of New she York. was a uh, GoDaddy for a while, but I mean the the her oh, marketing IMG IMG yeah you know, here's IMG one of the most powerful groups I mean we're talking Fortune 500 people these are the people that that work in the big offices in New York and whatnot and we're gonna find Danica a sponsor after GoDaddy and and you hear this Nature's Bakery everybody's like. What is what's this nature's out of Nevada? What that's what you could come up with, you know? I mean, everybody was scratching their head, and you look at it, it's like these numbers aren't these. I no, this ain't gonna work. Everybody was kind of like <laughs> scratching their head. No, and they were, you know, it was well. If you spend this much money, you'll be getting this much more in revenue and whatnot. And of course, it didn't work out that way. So Aspen then comes in, comes to the rescue and says they were, I think, they're only going to do five races next year or four, and then they stepped up to do ten, whatever it was. And now now they're gone for next year. So That's well, a lot of cavities you got to fill for yeah. five <laughs> extra races. That, it is. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few root canals that uh, need to get uh, double billed on that one. Well, I tell you what, let's uh, let's go for a sports flash. And when we come back, Tony DeZeno and I will be talking some Formula One racing and the latest in IndyCar, sports cars, you name it. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's 
time to talk all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, trucks, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki, Dennis Michelson, and Laurie Monroe from Racetalkradio.com. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, from the David Hobbs Honda Studios, it's Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Unfortunately, closed today because of weather. Make sure to check out their Facebook page tomorrow. Uh, see if they are open as we get towards the end here. But uh, weather permitting, they plan on to be open until the snow flies in Union Grove. I'd also like to thank our friends at David Hobbs Honda, 6100 North Green Bay Road. Make sure you check out davidhobbshonda.com for all their latest and new and used car specials. Uh, joining me in studio, Tony Dezino from NBC Sports. Thank you for joining us today. What's the latest going on at the website? Fun times, E-Man. So we are in the uh, <clears throat> dying stages of the Formula One season. IndyCar may be in its off season, but that doesn't mean there's a shortage of things to talk about. It was actually quite an active week in IndyCar news, which we'll get to throughout the second hour. But um, combination of Mexican Grand Prix stuff, uh coverage after that a couple columns i have in the works including one about joseph newgarden's recent uh f1 comments and the triggers that that is pulled within the paddock so there's a no shortage of things going on even as uh we're in a relatively slow period and uh formula and qualifying occurring now as we speak and you know i i really like this track I think it's a really cool track. I love how they come into the the little uh, the, the stadium stadium section. in, and there's been talk, off and on for a couple of years now, whether uh, IndyCar is going to get down there. And I guess there's always you know the the, the you know who's going to sponsor it, or they have a title sponsor, or whatnot. But the one thing that kind of kind of scratched my head, because from pretty much from 1981 up until a couple of years ago, there's always been a full time Mexican IndyCar driver, and you know, always popular. Um, you know, you had Jose Lee Garza back in the day. You had Michelle Jourdain. Fernandez, of Fern- course. Adrian Fernandez, Dominguez. very underrated. Right. Very, very underrated driver who uh, it just never could really put the best equipment under him. And I think – Really got a lot out of what he had. And, it was and, it was always a close enough type thing. Like he was, yes. like it was just off. Like for for instance, Fernandez won his first race when it was the Loa Honda package, but the Reynard Honda package mm-hmm. was better. Then he had his own team after he then he was at Pat Patrick's team first, and he got to like second or third in the points, which was not really something you would have expected for him. But he overachieved him and you know won a bunch of races. I remember. One of two years at Japan, he won in a car called Frankenstein. It was like a, it was either a '97 Reynard or '97 Swift, and it had three years of DNA in it. There was part '97, part '98, part '99, and it was just, it was so random. Uh, but I read those reports. M- Michelle Jordan and I actually go way back. I met him when I was, you know, seven, eight years old in in Long Beach when he was driving for Dale Coyne. And you know, he's a dude. Another one that was underrated. He almost won a championship with uh, Bobby Rahal. Almost mm-hmm. won. He actually won his first race here at the Mile. Yep. That freezing night in uh, 03. So. Well, was, yes. So, um, yeah, you're still warming up from that years <laughs> later. <laughs> you just put me back there. I got to chill up my spine <laughs> from that one. 
Yeah, I, I, I think the thing that I think the thing I like about Mexico as a city or sorry as a country and, and kind of what its drivers has been, there's a real passion to mm-hmm. that country that 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 is extended through various parts of motorsport. You know, we've got Daniel Suarez doing well in NASCAR this year. It's come close to a couple wins, and you know, part of me wanted to see Suarez in a Toyota win at Talladega just for the you know the spectacle that would have been. Um, the F1 race has come back on the schedule in the last two, three years. It's been come, easily become a favorite. They've got a home drive, driver in Sergio Perez. And in IndyCar, you're right. You know, they sort of had a comeback this year with Esteban Gutierrez, but mm-hmm. it was a fallback. It wasn't really right. a by choice type type of thing. Yeah, and I just, I, I, I wonder if, you know, if, I, I think it would be a done deal if we had an established veteran IndyCar uh, Mexican driver with with a, a you know, that was a, not even in in a drive but a B B driver who'd been kind of established in the series that it would make a lot more sense. But sure, like like say a guy who would drive at Sam uh, Sam Schmidt's team. Yeah, that's like your perfect like A minus B plus type team. It's not one of the top threes, but it's an it's an environment where you can thrive in in the right situation. That being said, does it make sense? No. I, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, right? I mean, there's, I'm not a fan of it personally. Uh, no, I should, I should correct that. I'm not a fan of it in the date that it's supposed to occur next year. It's supposed to occur on the first weekend in August, which is a terrible idea. Horrible. Because you're up against NASCAR at the Glen, which mm-hmm. is already one of its most popular events. And locally, you're up against IMSA at Road America, which now IMSA at Road America takes on a new significance because of the the content that's in that series next year with Penske coming in, Acura, Mazda, some of the other you know big names. And there's only so many fans to go around. And, and for a Mexico IndyCar race, you're not looking at your hardcores. That is a pure whatever this title sponsor is or whatever the promotional fee is to get that race on the schedule. Cause it's something that it just doesn't make sense in that time slot. It's going to be hot down there. You're coming off of mid Ohio a week mm-hmm. previous and it just, I don't like the date at all, but now, in the um, past it was usually in the fall and right. which, however, there's an obvious conflict, which is occurring this weekend. So True. you got turnaround times and I'm sure F1 wants to protect their turf. I, I don't get how you have a three-week gap between St. Pete in the spring and then the West Coast races at Phoenix and Long Beach in March. That would make sense. Which would make a ton of sense. Yes. You know, they ran they ran Monterey, Mexico at, at the start of the year for, you know, five or six years, I think, or whatever it was. But um, I, I hate the date. I hope that seems like it'll, it'll get announced, but... You know, I think it's one of those things where IndyCar's been preaching date equity for a long time. If Phoenix was to drop off the schedule after 18, which is a possibility if the racing doesn't improve there, then that opens up a slot uh, in that spring spring area. But if they lock it into a multi-year deal at that August date, then you're you're kind of screwed. I mean, date date selection is the single biggest thing why races work or they don't work, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Well, I, yeah, I mean, uh, case in point, the mile here where they kept on getting bounced around. And, I, you know, I, I, we've had Robin Miller on the show. We've had other people on the show. You put that you put that in the Detroit date a weekend after the 500 for three years in a row, and I guarantee that it's a winner. There, there's a few 
20 after 2018 is going to be an interesting time for IndyCar schedule discussion because there's a lot of things that are percolating. You know, there's been a lot more blowback from locals about Detroit being on uh, Belle Isle the week after mm-hmm. in terms of the setup and teardown time. Uh, Texas has always wanted to be shortly after the 500. There's also the thrash. I, Detroit's one where I love the event, but I, I really don't like the date of it where it is for, for the same reasons. You know, Watkins Glen didn't work because of the date situation, you know, more, more than anything. Could you sell Eddie Gossage on a two or two part, whatever you want, a, a, a championship ending weekend or championship ending the season ends second from last race at Coda and then two weeks later at Texas? Ooh, it's not a bad idea, but I think the problem you'd run into there is Coda, um, would be too close to its F1 date mm-hmm. in that situation. Again, there's that there's that late March window that, you know, if you're, you know, my colleague Luke Smith wrote about this last week, that uh, Dakota track president's interested in, in IndyCar, but there's significant hurdles with which to clear to do so. The date is the obvious. And then the second most obvious is Texas. And it's funny, Eddie actually went on a Twitter bender yesterday about uh, how it's it's unfortunate there was no Friday track activity at Martinsville and that, you know, the fans want to be out there. It's like, no, you want the promoter out there because you want to be open for three days to sell more stuff. You want right. to sell more three-day passes as opposed to two. It's not a bad idea. I wish they could coexist, but I think there's there's arrogance on on one or more sides. Oh yeah, that, right. That yeah. don't allow it to happen. I, I think, I really think the you could sell, Coda IndyCar to Eddie if if they are the championship, if they're they're if they're the end of the year. I think so. That would need to be like a late September, early October type of thing, to where it's it's far enough into the fall, but not too close to the Cup race at that point. So. Um, and, and it, it used to work. I mean, they used to run twice there, you know, they ran the June right. race and then they ended the season Saturday there. night. Uh, the, the, the fall race, I think was a Sunday race. No, I mean, do you do a Saturday yeah, yeah, night yeah. as yeah. season ender? I think, uh, I don't know. I'm you're not to- going I'm up against Friday. Hump. You're not going up against Friday night, not Friday night nights, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't think Sunday, I think IndyCar is real paranoid about doing a championship on a Sunday in October. That's that'd be a difficult sell. I think I think you can make the optics look better. Optics are the biggest thing. You could make it look better at night. There's kind of a bigger feel of it mm-hmm. at to a night race whereas like you, you might only have the same 30 or 40,000 people, but 30 or 40,000 looks better under the lights than it does under the day when you've got the sun beating down and you got that all the empty true. grandstands. Yeah. So but it doesn't look as good on TV because it might not. You might not get as good a number. So there's pluses and minuses to all the potential scenarios. Well, let's go take a break. We'll get in the car. We'll drive down to Indianapolis. Now we'll do the rest of the show and talk with Mike Mark Miles and get this thing figured out. We'll hammer this thing out. Funny Mark Miles story. I'll tell after the break. All right, you're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda on the Fan. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. And hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, and along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda in Glendale. 
Wow, didn't see this coming. I know Jeff was all excited when he heard the news. Absolutely. Ed Jones. Eddie! Ed Jones going to... Uh, ooh, I almost said it. No, wait, no, just Chip Ganassi racing. Um, I, I mean, it makes sense because I'm a big fan uh, of 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 Ed Jones and everybody involved in this, but uh, how, how did this come about, Tony? So, um, so begins the craziest. How the heck did this happen? From a guy who's never driven an Indy car, wound up being the winchpin to the Indy car silly season. But was he really in actual contention for the seat? Basically, Chip has downsized from four cars to two for 2018. They've let go a lot of people. They were looking for a talented young driver to pair alongside with Scott Dixon for 2018. The first guy they had their eye on was Felix Rosenquist, who is a Swedish driver, has tested for the team a couple times, won races in Indy Lights. Really good kid, really super talented, drives like five different series. Unfortunately, he's in a Formula E contract, electric cars. And his name is Felix. And his name's Felix. So, well, I don't know. Felix at a chip, that would make up that... You know, it's been done before. It's been done for 20-odd years, however long the partnership's been. He's out. So the next target is Brendan Hartley, who is a Porsche LMP1 driver, Le Mans winner, world endurance champion, super talented dude, but got dropped from the open wheel ladder five years ago by Red Bull and then by Mercedes. So two got teams that have won the last however many championships in F1 off the scrap heap. Long story short, uh, Toro Rosso in F1 has a vacancy to fill for the U.S. Grand Prix. Brendan Hartley, who was earmarked but never officially confirmed by either Ganassi or him, you know, neither one acknowledged the other's presence, kind of like a, you know, a, a get-to-know-you courtship, but they won't admit the courtship's actually happening. Uh, he gets called in, he makes a call to Red Bull to call that I want to drive F1, and if there's ever an opportunity, holler for me. So, Three different driver changes happen, and somehow he winds up in F1. So he's out. So earlier this week, I catch wind that Ed Jones is not back at coin, and through my own reporting and research, him and Dale had both said they wanted a deal done by within two weeks after the season finale. That didn't happen. So Ed Jones goes basically around him to say, hey, Chip, you've got a seat open, and I don't have a seat, so let's make this thing happen. And lo and behold, Ed Jones goes from a guy who would have only had three races this past season if he didn't get the coin seat, which in and of itself kind of had a backstory, to now driving at one of the more exclusive teams in IndyCar. And it's a big surprise to most, but it is a great story because of how well the kids worked for it over the last year and a half. But it's my understanding Hartley had a contract with Ganassi. Apparently, but again, neither one wants to convince that they had it. It's like an F1 terms, they, they, that got brought up this weekend, and I guess they were taken aback that someone had caught wind of the suggestion. Because Toro, or, uh, yeah, because uh, Red Bull had to pay. My, my big thing with, you know, deals in racing is, and, and you touched on this earlier, nothing's ever done until the press release comes out. Right. And despite all the, you know, speculation, rumors to the contrary, you can't say someone has a contract until one of the two sides acknowledges there's a contract. And in my view, the fact that no one said that on this deal, I think made it seem like the story was rushed a bit before it was made public. Well, it was an agreement in principle. Sure. You know, let's do this, 
and uh, we've all done this. All, all three of us in in here, we've had we had a situation at the radio station earlier this year where we had an, an agreement in principle. It didn't work out, you know. So, you know, other other things happened, uh, and it was uh, because of that. There was other things that were in the works that we didn't know about. Right. But, you know, okay, maybe we'll do something next year or something, sure. or whatever. And it's until yeah, until the contract is signed. The question is, and it now, I always have a vision uh, of uh, of Ganassi leaning back with a cigar in his mouth, laughing while somebody's paying him a money, while somebody's writing him a check to to buy a driver who never drove a car because it seems so chip like, right? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, think there's, it's, I think it's there's like more that one Seinfeld where uh, Elaine's giving Jerry the money, you know, he's laughing, you know. I, I could, I could see that. You, you definitely of the two of them between Mr. Penske and, and Chip, you would imagine Chip to be the one laid back. At, you want know, this Hartley to, guy? Okay, here. <laughs> yeah, I. It's no secret that Ganassi has needed some sort of financial support in the last year or so. They lost Target for Dixon, and now they've lost Target for Larson and. Honda has made no secret of the fact that they made significant investment into that team next year, last year to kind of keep get them back on board as their lead entry, mm-hmm. and they almost won the championship despite having a car that wasn't the measure of the Chevrolet for most tracks. So um, Jones has been known to have budget in the past, but he's one of those rare talents that you know, yeah, they might be a quote unquote money guy, but he's actually a really good driver. So. Right. Um, for those that don't really know his background, he was a guy kind of on the fast track to F1, won a Formula 3 championship, had a back injury, or he didn't win a Formula 3 championship. He won races. He would have been uh, in contention for that. Came to America, won his first couple races in Indy Lights, was third in the championship his first year, won it his second year, and really overachieved when he was supposed to be matched up with Sebastian Bourdais. Bourdais got hurt, so he kind of became the team leader midseason, despite only having five or six races under his belt and was completely overshadowed by Fernando Alonso at the Indy 500. So um, he did a performance that was on par, if not a little better given the circumstances. And He was so racy in that yeah. second half. Making with a broken, moves with a broken and, car, mind yeah, you. I, so. I mean, it just it, – it's one of those situations where TV is fantastic. It shows you a lot, but when there's – you know they're focused on other things, and if you, you you pick up sometimes a lot of stuff on in in person, especially at a track like Indianapolis. And and one thing with Ed was it seemed he had no fear. He the the comfort you can see, especially in a in the late part of the 500 mile race at Indy, guys that are that get it, the guys that are really really racing. You can kind of tell the guys are kind of timid at it after watching a lot of racing at that track. And Ed was one of the guys I'm thinking, this guy's making a lot of moves. I mean, Fernando, yeah, he, you could tell he had no fear. He ducked to the water, loved the place. But then you saw Ed, and he was he was right on par. I mean, and he was. Fernando had five teammates in a team that has won three of the last four Indy 500s, and with no disrespect to either of them, Jones was probably the most long form contender for coin for that the rest of that month because they had a fill in driver in James Davison, the talented but tempestuous right. Davo, I think would be a good way of describing it. And him. a teammate in Bourdais who it took a while for him to get comfortable there. Sure. Right. And and 
Bourdais, you know, admitted after the fact, he was like, I shouldn't have tried as hard as I did in qualifying, but I didn't know any better because I actually hit a car under me mm-hmm. that I was comfortable with for the first time. And I mean, that, I don't know. What what Ed Jones did at Indy was spectacular. What he did the rest of the year, he didn't really make any mistakes of note, kept the car clean in a year when Dale went through a significant budget, you know, with crash damage. So, And um, that's the other thing, too, in today's that's that's a real important thing, you know. They they I think you mentioned it might have been Ganassi or somebody else when they're when they're looking at young drivers while we look at them on and off the track, this and that. It's Mike Hull. Mike Hull's comments okay. were and, pretty pretty spot on, actually. But so. the other thing is, mm-hmm. is crash damage. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pay for tubs, right? And that's huge. Yeah, Ed Ed is a a quiet under the radar type that. You know, when Dixon went to Ganassi for the first time, you didn't really think that much of him. You knew he had some potential, but, you know, he was Indy Lights champ and had one win under his belt with Pac West. And you know, Ed's kind of similar. I think, you know, finishing 14th in points in a coin car, he finished ahead of Hildebrand. He finished ahead of both Foyt guys. He finished ahead of the second Schmidt car. You know, there's he beat a lot of capable guys you might not have expected to mm-hmm. this year. So, And uh, d- disappointing news from a friend of the show, Connor Daly. Not going to be back in the number four ABC car, the second AJ Foyt car. For yeah, that's it's unfortunate for Connor because he was really starting to turn the corner, and he's never had he's never had the career stability that other guys of his kind of graduation years have had. He's mm-hmm. always had to switch. He's always had to hit the reset button, whether it's GP two or GP three or one year in IndyCar or second year in IndyCar. Like he's doing really well with Dale Coyne last year. But then the sponsor pulls out, and that was through no fault of anyone's. That was just what happened uh, with the Clawson deal. But um, he gets the deal with Foyt, and then Foyt switches engineers, switches manufacturers, switches aero kits. Connor then has a second engineer change like two weeks before the season starts. So it takes time for things to gel, and you know and things finally were. And things that, finally the were last three four races. And and from what what I don't get is you know for a purely for for what's going to be a hypothetical budget play for the new guy that that comes in this Mateus Laced who's been rumored and quite you know I'm a little frankly I'm a little surprised by it because he told me as early as Watkins I'm I'm working on IndyCar next year I was like really because it's like and, and you don't mean that as a slight it's just that the guy was so new to Indy Lights this year coming from Europe he needed a second year in, in Indy Lights because to, to you know improve his craft you're a more developed driver after two years than you are at one but. Connor was in a spot where he and TK could have been a really dynamic, sellable package for ABC. Like, this is an American, this is a Wisconsin company mm-hmm. that has, you know, a big kind of red, white, and blue presence. And, you know, Connor kind of fits that mold. They, they've they told me that, you know, they like Connor. That's what I was, you know, told from the team earlier this year. It's like, that's a more sellable tandem, I think, than a, you know, a Team Brazil at AJ Foyt. So it's... Doesn't make a lot of sense. I I don't I don't rate Connor as the highest, but I also don't think he's been given enough of a shot when he right. gets an opportunity. Yeah, I think. Well, and and from a media point of view, uh, you know, we mentioned this on the show before when the two were you had Carlos Munoz and Connor Daly together available for media, everybody would gra- graduate over to Connor Daly. Cause oh, hundred percent. Yeah, a, a great. You know, you, you're you're going to get a good uh, quote from Connor. Nothing against Carlos Munoz, but you know, just he's he's an engaging personality. He's 
the, it, it doesn't make sense on either front because I think Connor's a better full season prospect. Carlos is a better indie only prospect. And Foyt's big thing is how good are you at indie? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, technically, okay, sure. Leist won the Freedom 100 this past year. He was also known to have a slightly better uh, engine than his competitors for that that weekend. So, you know, read into that what you want. Interesting. Well, let's take a quick break here for Sports Flash. When we come back, we got some more F1 news we have to revisit uh, when we come back in the final inspection show. Final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Make sure to check them out on the web at davidhobbshonda.com. Tony DeZino, when is a pass not a pass? A pass is not a pass if you go all four wheels off the actual track surface with which to do so, apparently. So Alex Zanardi's pass of Brian Hurdo, if uh, it was an F1 race today, would not be allowed, would it? No. Uh, and that's really kind of the issue, right? Is the not that you go all four off, but the inconsistencies in calling when all four off is a penalty versus when all four off is not. So, and I thought Lee Diffie brought up a great point yesterday in practice when he talks about part of the issue. One of the drivers brought up it's it's part of the problem is the tracks. Oh, it's a huge problem. Yeah. I think there's been this this overzealous kind of. We, we've talked about, you know, kind of the danger element on this show before, but right now there's so many of these new modernized tracks that have no penalty mm-hmm. for if you go off course. You know, it should, you know, Will Buxton has said this as well. You know, track, white line, grass, problem solved. Yep. But now you've got all this extra runoff area. Co- Circuit of the Americas, where we're talking about Max Verstappen's pass, no pass on uh, Kimi Raikkonen for third place on the last lap. Um, he basically went off on a place where they allow it, you know, because of how the track's designed. And, you know, one could also argue Kimmy might have forced him marginally over there. So, but, you know, Max makes moves that, you know, a lot of guys aren't, you know, really bold enough to do. And unfortunately, to the letter of the law, it's right that he got penalized. But from an entertainment value standpoint and lack of clarity, you're really hurting the show at that point. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue until they do that, until they they – change that and make the tracks a little like like you said white line white line grass as if we need another reason to say why road america is awesome the only outside of like outside of one outside of five and now outside of canada and that's just you know a Mm -hmm. little bit of runoff but there's still mostly it's mostly track white line grass at at that track for four miles right and and we're not saying all tracks need to be like monaco where you you know go off a little bit line you're hitting a guardrail but there needs to be a little bit of a you know penalty right and but if you like like was brought up with i guess 16 of the drivers wrote this letter to charlie whiting saying this that if you get away with it fine then you can get away with it but if you don't you don't their big their big sticking point is the term lasting advantage so Mm -hmm. if you gain enough to gain a position that's when it's like okay you got to give it back but it's a perfect storm of it happened on the last lap so then they don't give time to assess hey you can get the Mm. give the guy a spot back and then get it get it over so um you know and some people will say Verstappen and Red Bull sounded like they were whining when they said we should have had more time to evaluate it but they're not wrong you know that was just a pretty 
judge jury decree to, to just drop them down like that. So right. it was, a, I don't know, an unfortunate end to what was a, an otherwise interesting weekend where they had a, of all things, Michael Buffer doing the pre-race, and that was that was interesting. It was, it was entertaining, though. I like Michael Buffer, and I thought, um, you know, you can have a little bit too much of him, but I mean, I'm, I was fine with it. You I, know. It was fine. It was different. Yeah. It was uniquely right. American. So yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, your 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 coworker Luke Smith, I thought that had an interesting worker, uh, interesting story, uh, with Formula One team principal Maurizio Rivabene. Who's saying, ah, nothing to see here. Keep moving. Ah, we don't need to do anything at Ferrari. Everything is fine, which makes sense because his head will be the first to roll if something is going to happen, which I think it will. I'm assuming he's seen The Godfather before? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, yeah, of course he's going to say that, but what else, you know? Yeah, that 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 is the uh, that story is the human uh, description of the the gif that you've probably seen. You know, it's like the little dog with the room on fire. Just everything's fine. You yeah. know? So, <laughs> so that's ba- that's that's basically Ferrari's year in a nutshell. It's just like you know, and Will actually wrote a really good piece on this a few weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, not on our site, but that's neither here nor there. Um, just kind of looking at Ferrari's downfall, kind of how the management structure from the top. He mm-hmm. thinks Riva Benny will be out at the end of the year. Yep. I think that's a common perception. I think so, too. Paddock. I was surprised he wasn't out last year. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's pretty disappointing how they, they had the title within their grasp and they just they let it ride and mm-hmm. let it get away from them. That'll be, that'll be interesting to see what happens. What we'll, we'll, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to have predictions. And how much money would you pay for a Rolex watch? This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Time for predictions. Martinsville, the papers, paper clip. Still the goodies, 500? No, it's the one of the first data, 500. Still yeah, that just be, rolls off your tongue. Yeah, goodies is so much better. They put lights up. They changed the name. How dare you, uh, Martinsville? Man, I'll tell you. Better not change the hot dogs. Tony DeZeno. Who's your pick? I will go. We mentioned him earlier in the show. FedEx man, Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin. I'm going to go with Jimmy Johnson. I'll take uh, Kyle Larson, and if he wins, he'll donate his uh, grandfather clock to one of you two. Oh, thank you. Who did Dave Coleman pick? Uh, he picked Jimmy Johnson as well. Okay. And, like, to obviously thank Dave Coleman from, from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel for joining us earlier in the first hour. Uh, do you have $17 million bucks? I can borrow. I could check my couch cushions, but I think I'm going to come up just a little bit short. You know, there is a uh, uh, a, a, a movement, whatever you want to call, call out there, the vintage watch. Uh, what's the word? Timepiece, hobby, whatever that people get, and these are high quality. And um, the watch that's out there is was the the what they call the the Paul Newman Daytona Rolex. 
that I think was from '68. He got it from uh, got it from his wife in 1968. With the case back engraved with the words "Drive carefully, me," which he did. Uh, Newman wore the watch pretty much every day until 1984, when he gave it to his daughter's date after learning the young man wasn't wearing a watch. Um, and this is a, an iconic. Uh, if you see a photo of Newman. Uh, whether it's in several movies or at the racetrack, especially at the racetrack, uh, he is wearing this Rolex watch. In fact, uh, had a, a stopwatch in it, in which a lot of times he would give it to his daughter, and she she would time him as well as other drivers when he was coming through the ranks up in the SCCA and at, in the 70s. Well, this watch was up for sale, and it went sold for 177 a uh, million dollars in New York City. I've got an iPhone that I use as a watch. It's a little bit cheaper. I, I go back to uh, planes, trains, and automobiles at this point. You know, it's like I've got $17 and a heck of a nice watch, Steve Martin <laughs> says. So, so 17 but, slightly off the 17 mil for, for the nice watch, but uh, this, quite, uh, this, quite a prize. This was the watch in the, in the, if you're collecting uh, vintage watches. The estimate was five to ten million dollars, so it went for seventeen. Uh, check it out on YouTube. There's a, they actually have the the auction on there. It's pretty interesting, and a lot of the money will go to the Paul Newman Foundation. So make sure you check it out. I'd like to thank Tony Dezino for joining me in studio. Absolutely, and we'll talk again for next week's show. We'll get the fall off in the Mexican Grand Prix and Martinsville. Thanks for listening. The final inspection show brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobsonda. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.